Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. We're back, and it's like we never left on this Friday. Well, we haven't left, but someone in the NFL has left the building and will not be returning to that facility. We'll get to that momentarily. I'm Chad Withrow, Jonathan Hutton. He's out until Monday. Well-deserved time off. This is Hot Mike across the Outkick Network, and we are live from the downtown Nashville 6th and Peabody Studios with Old Smoky Moonshine and Yeehaw Beer. Special guest co-host, Kelly in Vegas. Kelly Stewart on with us once again today. Three hours last Friday. Three hours yesterday. That's six hours so far. Going for nine hours of programming excellence, content excellence, is Kelly Stewart, and she's back with us today. Kelly, thank you for returning to co-host the show with me today. I appreciate it. You're welcome. I don't think I really had an option, though. Uh, pretty sure I agreed to do it, and i uh, got to see it through. This is not a volunteer thing. This was you were assigned, uh, you were appointed. It's like getting a, an appointment to West Point or the Naval Academy. You were appointed as co-host of this show. Either way, however you got here, we appreciate it. We're going to have a lot of fun for the next three hours. we got some good guests coming up on the show. Barrett Salee coming up in about 19 minutes from now. A little bit later in the show, Michael Fabiano will give us the latest and give us what we need to do with our fantasy football teams over the weekend. A lot of things happening over the course of the show. A lot of things happened last night on Thursday Night Football. I will be the first to raise my hand and say and admit when I'm wrong. And I'll say right now, I was dead wrong about Brandon Staley not getting fired because of the outcome of last night's game. Because going into that game, and I said this repeatedly, Davey asked the question earlier in the week, I said, I don't see that there's any way that the outcome of this game would affect his job status, being as he should not be the head coach right now. Things have been bad enough that I can't see it getting that much worse. At this point, you ride it out till the end of December, and then you fire the guy the Monday after the season ends. And then they gave up 63 points to Aiden O'Connell and the Vegas Raiders last night. And everything quickly changed. Kelly, I'll be the first to admit I was wrong. Didn't think that he could do anything to get fired. I'll also say I will shake anyone's hand who expected 63 points given up to that Raiders offense, a team that scored zero a week ago against the Minnesota Vikings. That was something to behold last night. What were your initial reactions to what was an awful night for the Chargers? Oh, I was so happy. I got to go to bed at halftime. That's always My good. My O'Connell uh, prop bet was all but there right before half. And it was such a blowout that I said, hey, I can go to bed early. That is a wonderful thing when you're an East Coaster these days. Uh, but side note, Chad, I thought Brandon Staley should have been fired six weeks ago. I tweeted this afternoon, what took you so long, Chargers? And that is uh, the real honesty. Hey, listen, we listened uh, yesterday and our, you know, had several experts on Armando said, hey, we have to see this out. They're not going to fire him midseason. They don't do that anymore. And in my head, I thought, well, the Broncos did it last year, but that was kind of a unique situation. 
And he had me buying in that they were going to ride out the season with Brandon, but his team quit on him last night. That was just abysmal. You could just tell they did not want to be there. Well, and going back to your opinion from six weeks ago, I I agree with you. And that was my whole thing was it's been bad enough. I I don't know why if you, if you've gone this long and he hasn't been fired, I mean, the guy got into a, a little verbal match with reporters after their loss to Green Bay. That's the first time I ever remember hearing his voice was because he was getting so pissy with people after that game. If you've survived that and all this has happened, then why not just wait till the end of the season? They're not going to the playoffs regardless. What does it matter? And then I watch a team last night, and I think this is a team hoping their coach gets fired now rather than the end of the season. Because the one thing he could hang his hat on, I remember even after the Green Bay game, he said, well, my defense wasn't the problem. That was sort of the implication, right? Not in this one. The defense was pretty good. It was the offense, the turnovers that let them down in that game. The defense has been better as of late. And then 63 points to Aiden O'Connell. And congratulations, you're right, on, on your bet. You were all over that one with the Raiders offense. That was the only thing I was right on. I thought we were going to see a really boring, lower-scoring game. Raiders defense has been playing much better, and as you just mentioned, so had the Chargers. I thought, hey, look, this is going to be just like kind of a snooze fest. Let's see some field goals kicked, but we're going to see a lot of airing it out from the Raiders because Josh Jacobs ended up getting announced out. It was just pitiful. I don't know how a professional football team uh, just allows that to happen, but like you mentioned, they must have wanted Brandon Staley fired. That's the only explanation. I feel like we owe it to Brandon Staley to hear his voice one more time since he had something to say last night about his job status and was asked whether or not he deserved to be the head coach. So one final time for everyone to hear, here is Brandon Staley as a head coach in the NFL from last night. Everything. I didn't do anything well enough to get us ready to play tonight. So if that's the case, then why why should you be the coach if, if, that, if that's games, games like this, Games like this happen in the NFL. To every coach that's ever coached in this league, you can look at any great coach that's ever coached in the league, sometimes games like this happen. And I don't need to retrace history, but it's just it's part of sports. Sometimes there are games where it doesn't go right. None of it. And you got to put it behind you and you got to move on to the next thing. I would like the SNL parody version of this where he actually brings out a scroll of all the great coaches that have lost terrible games at some point. And in fact, to show throughout history, I point to Bill Belichick in 2014 against the Cincinnati Bank or against the Kansas City Chiefs in a blowout where he pointed to they, they're on to Cincinnati after that. I, I mean, you knew that was the final nail in the coffin last night. And I think Brandon Staley is going to be a coordinator pretty quickly. Um, I, I, I think we've probably seen the end of him as a head coach. But Kelly, we've seen plenty of retread opportunities for failed head coaches in their first go around that get another opportunity. I just don't think it's going to be Staley. I would agree. USC still looking for a defensive coordinator. Then he doesn't have to go too far from where he currently lives. Uh, As of right now, I'm trying to think through my head on which other NFL team could really use a new DC. And uh, that was the first one that came to mind. Maybe uh, he can go down there and hang out with Lincoln Riley. Both guys who do not want to take credit for their failures. They do not. They do not want to own their failures. That's for sure. Uh, It looks like in New England it's going to be over for Bill Belichick if if Tom Kern's reports and and others are correct. What about Bill Belichick for the Chargers as an option of a team that's got a a star quarterback where you can kind of work around that quarterback? Belichick knows now that 
his way to success is having a great quarterback, right? We've seen the results without Tom Brady versus the results with him. I wonder if, if that would line up, if the Chargers would want Bill Belichick at this point in his career, and if that would be the top option for him. What do you think? A couple of things. First, poor Justin Herbert had to live through Mario Cristobal, the national treasure that was Anthony Lynn, and then Brandon Staley. I would love to see him with an awesome coach, especially one that is as militant as Bill Belichick. And I know a lot of people have heard stories about Bill Belichick. I've had a couple of friends play for him and they said it was the closest thing to being in the military they have ever experienced. The guy runs a tight ship and maybe that's exactly what uh, a team in LA needs. You know, when you have beautiful weather year round, beautiful women around you all the time and and life is very lackadaisical, maybe you need a guy that's going to come down hard on you and force you to become better versions of yourself. The Chargers have consistently underperformed for a very long time at this point. And again, I think Justin Herbert does deserve to have a coach who wants to build an offense around him. Yeah, and it, the Chargers are one of those teams. We talked about Pittsburgh, uh, Baltimore is another one that comes to mind. They have a clear identity about who they are and the type of player they want and what they're trying to do. The Patriots long had that under Bill Belichick. They've lost their way. I don't know what they are or what they're even trying to do right now. And a lot of that stems from quarterback play, right? They missed on Mac Jones. That, that hasn't worked out with New England. You would get a very talented young quarterback in Justin Herbert. I get asked this question from numerous people, but they'll say, is Justin Herbert just the next Phillip Rivers? And I have to stop and think to myself, Justin Herbert needs to win more first to be Phillip Rivers. That's a guy that with all of his talent, they, they haven't put it together with him. So he's got some proving to do also, I think. What was so wrong with Phillip Rivers? Well, a guy's never going to win it. You know, that, that was the I thing. Mean, is Herbert's I, always going to be in a bad situation. He's never going to win a Super Bowl. And probably, I would probably have to agree, but so are 32 other, you know, quarterbacks on multiple other teams right now. Look, right now, I think Tom Brady said it best. There is no quarterbacks out there that have the prowess that he had. And not in, that includes Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes has a winning mentality. Patrick Mahomes has the athletic ability. But I do think some of light of his recent outbursts, we're starting to see some issues there. Josh Allen. Reminds me a lot of Brett Favre, gunslinger. Are you going to get an interception? You might, or you're going to get a really exciting touchdown pass. And there's a lot of those guys that I could commend. But Tom set the bar pretty high. And I think it's almost an unrealistic expectation for this point for any team to assume they're going to have any semblance of the next Tom Brady. Yeah, it feels like um, not a changing of the guard in this NFL postseason that's about to happen, but there's a really good opportunity to not see necessarily new blood in, in most cases with quarterbacks that are in in it to the end in each conference, but you know, is it Lamar Jackson and, and Tua Tungavailoa, right? Is it Brock Purdy instead of the, the Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen? Is it Brock Purdy in the NFC and Dak Prescott? You know, what quarterbacks are we seeing with a chance to go win their first Super Bowl? That's going to be interesting to follow. Uh, this postseason, because I think the opportunity is there, especially for what you brought up, Kelly, with Patrick Mahomes on a team right now where they still haven't figured it out uh, offensively. Um, someone who figured it out defensively, and I want to highlight this for a second because I ripped the last ESPN 30 for 30, the 97 great race for the Heisman or whatever. I thought it was poorly done, poorly executed. 
I thought ESPN conveniently left out some parts about their hand in winning Charles Woodson, the Heisman that year, uh, and winning it over Peyton Manning. I think if you've got Peyton Manning on staff, if you're ESPN, you probably utilize him also. I'd like to have heard from him, but there were no first-person testimonials with Woodson, with Leaf, with Manning, with anyone. It was done with all old footage. Didn't really like it. Some of you may have loved it, but I didn't like it. Credit where credit is due, though. The latest ESPN 30 for 30 minister of defense about Reggie White is terrific and well done. And a story told through the eyes of his son that grew up while Reggie White was progressing through his NFL career. Uh, the people they got on camera, from Brett Favre to J.J. Watt to Philip Fulmer from Tennessee to Seth Joyner, all of these great names from the past that were on camera and his family uh, taking part in it as well is really, really remarkable. And I'm watching this thing, and I think to myself, we really don't spend enough time talking about Reggie White from a couple of different perspectives. One, free agency is what it is in the NFL today because of Reggie White. He was the guy who led the charge to sue the NFL to enact free agency. He was the first high-dollar free agent in NFL history back in late 1992, early 1993. And the sweepstakes for Reggie White was the biggest story in sports at the time. And his visits to the Jets, to the Browns, to the Falcons, it was newsworthy in every city. Eventually, he signs with the Green Bay Packers. He said God told him to go to the Packers. Bill Belichick, also on camera in this documentary, he's the one who had the joke when Reggie broke the news to Belichick he wasn't going to the Browns. And he said, because God told me to go there. Bill Belichick said, conveniently, God told you to go to the place that offered you the most money. And Reggie White laughed. He said, yeah, they also offered me a really good contract. But Reggie White as trailblazer from a business perspective in the NFL, and Reggie White, the man of God, the religious man that he was, and the coverage of Reggie White at the time. When I say football and religion right now, in 2023, there is one name that is popping in everyone's head, and that name is Tim Tebow. He is the resident Christian of football and sports. When you think about that, right? Reggie White came before him. Reggie White th said things that were very controversial at the time. He later changed some of his, uh, not opinions, but when he went back and learned Hebrew and read the Bible in Hebrew, he changed some of his interpretation of what he was taught growing up about things. Fascinating, fascinating guy. Uh, Tim Tebow, who I, I love Tim Tebow. I'm fine with him. Tim Tebow never had a church Molotov cocktail to the ground in the middle of his playing career the way Reggie White did. His church in Knoxville is burned to the ground, um, and he had to rebuild from that. Just incredible stories of perseverance and a guy who died at 43 years old of a massive heart attack. Reggie White was married to his wife for 20 years, and he has now almost been dead for 20 years. That's really crazy to think about. 2004 was when Reggie White died. We need to talk more about Reggie White. That was my big takeaway from that. Reggie White, as J.J. Watt Kelly called him, the greatest defender of all time. And he grew up in Wisconsin, a Packers fan. But he said not enough people will say that. He's definitely top five. I put him in a group of two. It's LT and it's Reggie White as the best defensive players in NFL history. And just a remarkable story. And I thought very well done uh, by the people at 30 for 30 and ESPN on this documentary. I'll have to check it out. I, full disclosure, I started my uh, NFL viewing career 
when the Broncos won back-to-back Super Bowls. And it wasn't until I started dating a Packers fan that I learned about Reggie White because that is the jersey that he always wears. And I didn't quite understand it, right? Usually a guy named Brett, you'd think we'd own a Brett Favre jersey. And he said, no, my favorite player when I was a little kid was Reggie White. So I can't wait to check out that 30 for 30. It sounds absolutely awesome. And I appreciate you highlighting what a great guy Reggie White was. Yeah, no no doubt about it. And uh, going back to your era, Kelly, and those Broncos teams, Reggie White and the Packers with Brett Favre beat the Patriots and Drew Bledsoe in 96, tried to repeat 97, your Broncos got them. And then I think in 98, the Broncos beat the Falcons uh, for the back-to-back Super Bowl. So definitely big-time crossover, AFC, NFC, with those Packers teams and Reggie White uh, versus your Broncos teams and then breaking out winning those Super Bowls. Yeah, I actually have the picture of John Elway. And I do not know who the Packers defender is, but John Elway ended up getting the first down uh, there in that Super Bowl and broke a lot of hearts I'll always in remember, uh, Wisconsin. Uh, Pat Boland saying, this one's for John when they won the Super Bowl, handing him the Lombardi trophy. I don't have a Lombardi trophy to hand to Barrett Salee, uh, but I'll, I'll give him something. We've got outkick coasters here. Maybe I'll show him one of those. A terrific item. I can present this to him. Something, because he's going to talk college football with us when we come back. This is Hot Mike across the Outkick Network. We're back on Hot Mike across the Outkick Network. Got some college football to talk about. I'm Chad Withrow, Kelly Stewart, guest co-hosting today. Barrett Salee with CBS Sports. Been on the show a bunch. Time to talk a little college football. And Barrett, it's difficult to know exactly where to start because now we're getting into the time where we can talk about games. I think there's seven bowl games tomorrow, in fact. But there's so much off the field to discuss, too. So we'll try to strike a balance of of a little bit of both of that. Um, With this story, isn't it so Nick Saban and Alabama to hire a former (laughs) Michigan staffer uh, just in advance of their playoff game against Michigan. It's sort of the reverse Connor Stallions, and it doesn't surprise me at all with Alabama. What, what did you make of that? I laughed. I laughed hysterically when that news broke because you're right. It is the most Nick Saban thing you can possibly think of. And that you're, you're, the joke you made about Connor Stallions is the first thing that I thought of too. Can't scout Michigan because he probably doesn't know uh, much about him. He hasn't planned on playing Michigan, so you might as well hire one of those guys that – that knows exactly what's going on. So, yeah, I mean, I think for, for Alabama in reality, it probably won't matter all that much because they are so staffed up, but it's a, it's a good way to get some buzz going for your program. And honestly, the way, the way Alabama has been playing, I I don't think they're going to need much help to beat Michigan. I, I think Alabama right now with a, with a month to prepare and, you know, time to sort of decompress after figuring out Jalen Milrow on the fly, that's going to be a dangerous team in that Rose Bowl. So the plight of Kyle McCord uh, so far, yeah. the, the, this uh, not even offseason because Ohio State still has a game left, but enters the transfer portal. Looks like all signs are pointing him to Nebraska. That's not happening. And there's a lot of other stuff going on in Nebraska. We'll talk a little bit later with a guest about that. But I keep thinking about the Ohio State perspective on this. If they're really going to stay in-house with the next quarterback – and they're happier with that, why start Kyle McCord all year if that's the case? If you wanted him to leave, I, I guess, Barrett, my question is, who wanted this? Was this McCord wanting out? Was this Ohio State pushing him out because they wanted someone else to start? How did we get here with McCord? 
Yeah, I think it was a little bit of both, um, not to dodge the question, but uh, I think Kyle McCord, they figured out this year, they thought he could be a difference maker, uh, but he really wasn't that guy. He obviously still got them to 11 and 0 and, you know, on the, on the brink of a big 10 East championship, but he's not CJ Stroud. He's not Dwayne Haskins. He's not JT Barrett. You know, I, I think they wanted him to be that. That's why he got the start over Devin White. But to me, I think it became abundantly clear to not only the outside world, but also to people within that building that Kyle McCord is not a guy you win with because of him. You can win with him, but not because of him. And so I think that ultimately led them to say, all right, dude, look, you know, we're losing, you know, a lot of our star offensive players. Let's let's go in a different direction. Let's completely rip the Band-Aid off and and move on. So I think Kyle McCord probably recognized that his time at Ohio State was up, or at least he was going to have to fight and be the underdog uh, to get that job in 2024. So, you know, he's good enough to start somewhere. He's good enough to start at a power five level, um, maybe just not at Ohio State. So go find another gig. Um, there will be plenty of people will want to play pay Kyle McCord because, like I said, he he is effective. You can win with him, uh, but just not because of him. Barrett, yesterday we uh, spoke to some other really insightful college football insiders such as yourself, but I wanted to still get your opinion. Over 1,300 kids right now in the transfer portal and alma maters such as my own, mm -hmm. uh, lots of alumni, lots of melting down over transfers that maybe do or do not matter. you have any insight as far as um, maybe where some of these high-profile guys are going to go or – Anything such as that, like I've heard rumors of Will Howard to USC. We do know that a couple of guys have no contacts because they've already got some plate uh, people in place. I'm just kind of looking for maybe a little insight uh, before bowls start. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people are on Dylan Raiola watch right now, uh, the high school kid. Um, but you know, he's obviously not part of that transfer portal. There are other ideas or other players to look at. You mentioned Will Howard. I think he's certainly one of them. I know down at Florida State, Cam Ward arrived for an official visit. Uh, today, in fact. And so to me, that's kind of the one that everybody's got their eye on because he's so highly thought of according to most uh, most services. I don't necessarily buy the Cam Ward hype. I, I think it's, it's a little aggressive. It's too much too quickly. It's kind of like Sam Hartman last year uh, for, for Notre Dame when he transferred to the Irish from Wake Forest. So I think all eyes are on Cam right this very moment. Yeah. Will Howard is part of that too. I think the bigger thing to me in terms of the transfer portal market is who's still left out there that could hop in. And I think there are some quarterbacks for some highly uh, touted teams that might be using their performance for leverage. And I'm talking about Carson Beck. And I think there are others as well um, that, that could be doing that. Dante Moore is a guy that in the transfer portal from UCLA, he's one to keep an eye on. I think he probably needs to make a decision quickly uh, because you don't want dominoes to fall in certain directions. And I think, like we talked about uh, just a minute ago, uh, Kyle McCord is one of those guys because he was going to go to Nebraska, but then dominoes started falling, and where he wanted to go really wasn't there for him anymore. So, um, you know, it's wild. It's wild out there, and, uh, you know, it goes both ways. It goes with players, you know, really wanting out, but players also using their success for leverage in order to get, get more money out of, whatever collective they're working for at the moment. Yeah. I try not to fault those kids, but some of those uh, 
opt-outs, transfer portal kids have not been fun to watch from a certain fan perspective. Speaking of being a fan, you are a huge college football fan, such as myself. And I've really kind of seen the decline of the bowl games uh, over the last couple of years as it potentially hurting college football. So I want to know outside of the New Year's Day bowls and outside of the college football playoff, which bowl game are you most excited about? Well, I would say I like these bowls more. I think one of the things after COVID, not counting this game towards the four games that you could register, I think is a is a really nice sort of uh, alteration to this because yeah, you have opt outs, but you also have guys that you know you can play that you know you you'll see a lot of the, the upcoming season. So I think that's interesting. Plus, from a gambling perspective, you know we always like to throw some money down. I know you do, Kelly, too. Um, you know, you mentioned uh, outside of the playoff. I know you said no, you knew you were six, but Peach Bowl. Uh, between Penn State and Ole Miss, I am super excited about. But one tomorrow that I am just thrilled for is, I think it's the first one of the day, Georgia, Southern, and Ohio, because I just can't, it's a train wreck with the amount of Ohio players that are out, and Georgia Southern has high-risk, high-reward. So very excited about that one. Uh, Really excited about Auburn and Maryland as well, uh, because I think you will see both of those teams let loose. I think for bowl games, you know, we're all fans. We just want to see weirdness. We just want to see things get wild. We want to be entertained because these are TV shows, right? Um, so I think Auburn, Maryland, uh, with what Hugh Freeze has put together, there's a revitalized, uh, I think, mindset there. They're very excited about the future. And for Maryland, sort of the same thing. And also Talia Tagovailoa is going out uh, perhaps in style as well. So, you know, I think that's one to keep an eye on in Music City. It's not one that I think gets a lot of uh, a lot of pub. But it's one that I think should be a lot of fun. And like I said, fun's really all that matters here because, you know, this is entertainment, right? Yeah, that Auburn-Maryland game is going to be about three-quarters of a mile from where I'm sitting right now in downtown Nashville. The Music City Bowl has lucked out. And then I feel like it frequently gets teams that are actually all in on playing against another one in a bowl game. I think about that wild Tennessee-Purdue game a couple years ago after Josh Heupel's first year that was a sold-out crowd. Overtime, back and forth, tons of points, tons of wild moments. The the Music City Bowl has gotten lucky. And I, I'm with you, Barrett. I think Auburn and Maryland very motivated to, to play in that game, so that should be fun. I want to ask you a, a, your choice between these three quarterback situations. Right below the top two or three guys in the portal that we've been talking about a lot, you've got Brock Vandegrift going to Kentucky. You've got Grayson McCall going to NC State. You've got Tyler Van Dyke going from Miami to Wisconsin. Which team landed with the best situation when you look at those three guys and the pairing with their new program? Mm, Man, I think Brock Vandergriff has the most talent, but I'm just not sure what he's going to get out of Kentucky. I mean, I think Kentucky is probably a bad fit for him. I'd probably go Grayson McCall. Um, You know, I think NC State is a, a, a very similar offense to what he had. Uh, at Coastal Carolina, especially when Jamie Chadwell was there uh, for the previous three seasons prior to this one. Um, so I think Grayson McCall, though, what he can do within that offense, how they typically type to uh, use quarterbacks like him uh, is going to be a lot of fun. With, with Vandegriff, like Devin Leary didn't succeed, right? So a year before that, Will Levis, who you know you guys know in Nashville, is you know doing. I guess he's doing up and down. He did great against my Falcons. I don't appreciate that, but you know he was just okay his final season at Kentucky. Um, what is what's what's Vandergriff going to do there? Like what's exciting about that offense that makes him or anybody think that 
you know, he can evolve into a star there, especially with Devin Leary coming in and everyone thought he was going to be high up on draft boards. The <laughs> at Wisconsin, man, I just, I don't know what that program is under Luke Fickle. I mean, I, I think that when, when you see how they operated last year, it felt like they were sort of a hybrid of that old school to that new school. So I'm just, I don't know how he fits into that one. That's a, that's a tough spot. Yeah, it's interesting to me that Kentucky is a good example of this. Those programs that are not traditionally very good, that have gone all in with their NIL and their collective on luring prospects in from the transfer portal and, and not necessarily high school prospects. Ole Miss is another one that comes to mind. Kentucky lands Chip, Chip Trainum from uh, Ohio State, too, is a very good running back. Um, what do you think about that? mentality for those programs Ole Miss Kentucky specifically is that the right route for those programs instead of trying to compete with the big boys in the SEC in terms of high school recruiting yeah, yeah I mean I think it's yeah yeah I think it depends on the team depends on the situation you know right now I think when you look at how Ole Miss is operating they're operating as if they have a great chance to win right now. That's why they're opening up their pocketbooks. They look at their schedule and see, hey, you know what? We got a chance to win in 2024. The schedule is easy. Let's go for it right now. I think Lane did that last year too. Um, and he's so he's going to be the portal king. But I think that's part of this that you sort of look at how the, the impact of these transfers can affect them immediately. And I think Kentucky is sort of in a similar spot where they look at the 2024 SEC schedule. Obviously, we saw exactly how it would work out on Wednesday, but they knew their opponents, right? All these schools knew their opponents. So, um, yeah, and they knew home road splits. So I think a lot of these schools will look at that. Okay, how much can we affect next year's team knowing who we're going to play, where we're going to play them, and what the path might be? And so I think that's sort of one of those things that we, we didn't really think about during the transfer portal era when it started, but it certainly is being discussed at a lot of these schools and Ole Miss and Kentucky included. But, you know, I think for, for those schools also, you got to play with the big boys. If you got the money, you got to use it and you got to use it every single year as much as you possibly can. And as, uh, as appropriate as you possibly can, otherwise you're not going to get it the following year from the collective because they'll view that as you misusing funds. So it's a wild new world, man. It's crazy how things change so quickly in college athletics. So I, I refer to these programs as almost elderly, right? The programs that are able to convince fifth, six-year guys to pay them a little bit of money to come back for that COVID year of eligibility. And if you can do that on the offensive and defensive line, you've got something for some of these teams. How much are you starting to look at that as a key factor I know we're not through the postseason yet, but as you start to look at what's going to transpire this offseason and who you're going to be looking at for next season, how quickly are you going to look at guys that are 24, 25 years old that are back for that COVID year that's yeah. going to really help solidify some teams? Yeah, grown adults, right? It's sort of what you see at BYU when they go on their missions. They yep. come back two years later, they have kids, they have you know, insurance, they have all that stuff. They have grown men responsibilities. And so you see that at BYU every year, but now you're like, you said, you're going to see it all around the country because you're going to have players take that COVID year. There are players that were in the class of 2018 who are still eligible. In fact, I think there's still one from 2017 that's still eligible. So yeah, along the offensive and defensive lines, that's the, that's the biggest part of that is because you see those grown man bodies. And, you know, I think that's where developmental teams are, are going to really benefit 
because they're the ones that will have continuity in addition to um, that, that, that age, the fact that they've been around for four or five years. Uh, but again, if you're an offensive, I talked to a coach last week, he said that any decent offensive lineman, decent, not great, decent is probably getting 800 to a million dollars right now. And FCS or power group of five transfers to power five are probably getting 600. He said, so it's a, it's a good market out there for offensive linemen because there just aren't that many of them. You know, if you're, if you're a six, five, 350 pound, uh, dude who has feet like ba- a ballerina, you're, you're going to get a ton of money. Um, because your teams are desperately in need for you. So I think on the defensive line, that is what's so fascinating about this. I, I, and I think what you'll see moving forward too, over the next couple of years is you need rotation, right? You need eight or nine defensive linemen to be successful at an elite level. So if you're a defensive lineman and you know, you're going to be part of a rotation and you're probably only going to get, you know, 30 snaps a game, no matter if you're a starter or a superstar or a backup, Go take a ton of money, be a reserve, and then keep your body fresh for the NFL and, and still collect all that money because there will be schools that have big budgets that understand, hey, we got we we have to absolutely pay for you know the eighth or ninth guy on the defensive line because that's how you win a championship. Barrett Salee, CBS Sports, at Barrett Salee on X. We appreciate you taking time to join us, my man. Thanks so much. Thanks, y'all. See you. Michael Fabiano, Sports Illustrated Fantasy Analyst. Coming up next, this is Hot Mike. We're back, hot mic across the Outkick Network. We got Michael Fabiano with us, Sports Illustrated senior fantasy analyst at Michael underscore Fabiano. Michael, I'm being told we've having we're having some slight technical difficulties. So if you don't see yourself on the screen, don't worry about it. We can hear you just fine. Uh, you may come and go at times, so don't let that freak you out. I know you're a pro's pro. I probably need to tell you that. You're going to be just fine either way, but just know we can hear you just fine even if you don't see yourself. I, I had to well, uh, start nothing, with that. Nobody needs to see me. You know, it's all it's all good. It's all good. You guys take the, uh, uh, the on-camera time. I'll just kind of give you some fantasy advice here in the background. Well, speaking of not seeing something, apparently the Chargers offense couldn't see the Raiders defense last night based on the turnovers we saw and, and the Raiders defensive play. Uh, I've got the Raiders defense on my fantasy team. I know I had 26 points, I think, from their defense special teams last night. What about that Raiders defense? Crazy good streaming option. Uh, they were in my top 10 uh, on the week. And I didn't think they were going to do that. I mean, nobody did. I and mean, the Chargers offense was awful. The team gave up on Brandon Saley, who, by the way, is no longer a head coach in the National Football League. Some would say that he lasted longer than he should have. But the Raiders, as a team, came out and really helped us when we needed it the most. Not that you started Aiden O'Connell, but he had a big game. Zamir White, in the place of Josh Jacobs, had a good game. Uh, Devontae Adams had a massive game. Jacoby Myers had a good game. Michael Mayer had a good game. I mean... It was everybody. Uh, so it was a good night for the silver and black. And even for some of the chargers, I mean, Austin Eckler uh, aside, Josh Palmer had a big game. Easton stick. I don't know anybody who started Easton stick unless you're in a super flex league, but I mean, he had 18 points and he turned the ball over two or three times. So it was a pretty good fantasy uh, night for a lot of players, especially the Raiders, of course. Kelly. Yeah, I'll jump right in here. Michael, you and I spoke a little bit last week in terms of how I set my fantasy lineups based on my bets. Well, 
Now I'm just a big fat fantasy loser because I am not in the playoffs, but I do still want to look at this from a gambling perspective. So each week you do your start and your sits. Let's talk about a couple of big name guys. Let's use Patrick Mahomes. So if you would recommend sitting him uh, as opposed to, you know, a Brock Purdy, would you also consider going under his passing yards this week in particular, I was looking at going under his rushing yards because we know what that Patriots defense does to mobile quarterbacks. Patriots defense has been really good. I'm, okay. I mean, against Pittsburgh, uh, Mitch Trubisky, I, I get it. You know, that was not very good, but typically at Gillette stadium, they've been very tough. So yeah, I mean, again, we talked about that, all that kind of stuff sort of, you know, melts into one uh, from a wagering perspective, the fantasy, but you still want to look at the numbers specifically, how many passing yards, uh, is the over under for Mahomes rushing yards, et cetera, uh, decide based on what the Patriots or in this case have done, especially against quarterbacks at home, uh, looking at what the player in this case, Mahomes has done overall on the road, uh, uh, you know, the stats, I mean, there's just so many of them. So I would be taking all of that into consideration, but again, they all, they all kind of melt into one. So if Mahomes is not a great play from a fantasy perspective, chances are he's probably not going to be a great play uh, from a uh, props perspective, which means you may be going under uh, on some of the uh, the bigger props uh, for Patrick Mahomes. Now, this one's just to make myself feel better because I did not come in last place. I barely missed the playoffs. Clay Travis, of course, got in over me, so he's never going to let me live that one down. But the last place person always has some fun, um, whether in our league, it is a, uh, an extra fee they have to pay or some sort of, we'd call it a, a punishment. What's the funniest, uh, fantasy football punishment you've heard for last place to have to ever do. And Michael's never uh, finished last by the way, Kelly. So he has no idea what it's actually feels like to be, be punished honest, this way, but he can probably you're, you're, tell someone else's experience. Yeah. I, honestly, yeah. I mean, I, I I don't finish last. So um, if I did, I, I, I would be in a little bit of trouble here. But I, I've heard of people who had to dress up as a baby uh, and go to Denny's and sit with a giant stuffed bear and have lunch or dinner. Uh, we've all heard of that whole Waffle House um, situation where you have to spend 24 hours in a Waffle House and Every waffle that you can eat will take an hour off the time that you have to spend there. And then, of course, there's the you know traditional sign holding up in front of people, maybe on a public street. I actually made that uh, happen to Scott Hansen one year. We played against each other uh, in a matchup, and Scott had to hold a sign up outside of NFL Network that said, you know, I suck at fantasy football or something like that. I did that to The Miz, too, WWE superstar, awesome. where he had to hold up a sign on social media that says, Michael Fabiano is my daddy in fantasy football. There's all kinds of stuff. I'm sure there's a lot of stuff we probably don't even want to think or talk about on the air that people do to each other, <laughs> you know, tattoos and all that kind of thing. I, I'm not going there, uh, but, but it is certainly a lot of fun. Uh, if you can come up with a not too embarrassing um, and certainly hopefully not illegal uh, punishment for, uh, for the last place team. Kelly, didn't clay auto draft or something or use his kids to draft his team? this go around or was he actually there for the entire draft? We've had a lot of clay Travis, um, terrible fantasy football moments over the years this year. 
we let him say, okay, Clay, there are plenty of dates available. Which day works best for you? And then he still had his kids draft. Clay has tried to auto draft uh, or had to draft from an airplane, lost Wi-Fi, got put on auto draft. Clay at one point in time had like nine Titans players in, on his roster. I mean, he has had some real snafus over the years, so I'm happy for him that he finally made the playoffs. There's no Titans players in Michael's start list this week. I can tell you that, Michael. Let's uh, let's start with Brock Purdy. Yeah, um, well, no Titans that aren't obvious. Derrick Henry smashes the Houston Texans, so if you're not starting him, you may want to take up another hobby. Uh, yeah, Brock Purdy is in a good spot this week against the Cardinals. Uh, they've given up right around 18 points per game to quarterbacks. Purdy beat them for over 21 points earlier this season. So start Brock Purdy. Zeke Elliott, how about Zeke, right? I mean, the the old man who had a 66% touch share last week. That's crazy town. He's got the Chiefs this week. The volume makes him a very good play. Uh, Najee Harris has got a good matchup. Remember, there are three games on Saturday, including Steelers-Colts. Uh, the Colts have been very generous to running backs. Fourth most points allowed uh, on the season. Third most points allowed since week 12. Zay Flowers has been very good. 20-plus points in two straight games against the Jaguars this week. They've given up five touchdowns to wide receivers in the last four weeks. I also like Terry McLaurin. Now, I know the last game before the bye, McLaurin did nothing, like literally nothing. And after the game, somebody asked him about doing nothing, and he said, well, at least I got some cardio in. That, to me, is squeaky wheel. And the squeaky wheel will get the grease against the Rams, who have really struggled against wide receivers over the last four weeks. I think it's going to be a high-scoring game in L.A. Let me ask you one question, just because you brought up Zeke Elliott, and I happen to have him on my bench right now, and you have him as a start option. Should I start Zeke Elliott over Joe Mixon or Rashad White on my team? Is this what you're saying? I would I would actually start him over Mixon. Uh, they're both very good plays, though. Rashad White, no. Rashad White like gets no respect. I mean, that guy's like the Rodney Dangerfield of fantasy football running backs. He has legitimately been an elite running back since week seven. Uh, he needs to be in every lineup moving forward, and he should be, uh, have been in most lineups for the last month and a half. You've never steered me wrong, so I'm going to roll with it. Uh, who should we roll with, with on you with the guys that probably shouldn't be starting for fantasy rosters this week? I, I, I'm not going to say probably shouldn't be starting with Patrick Mahomes. I just want to give people something to think about. Patrick Mahomes is not an elite fantasy quarterback this season. I'm sorry, he's not. And you can't blindly start him. Now, there is a list of quarterbacks that I would play ahead of him. It's not a long list, but if you have Dak Prescott, if you have, say, for example, someone like Matthew Stafford, who's been on fire or Brock Purdy, like you got to think about sitting Mahomes. He has scored 16.9 or fewer points in all but one of his last six games during that time is averaging 14 points per game. That's not good. And in two of the last three weeks where Tommy DeVito and Mahomes were playing, DeVito outscored him. Like it's Tommy DeVito. It's crazy. Uh, so, and Mahomes has got a bad matchup against the Patriots this week. They've been very tough at home against quarterbacks. So just something to think about. I uh, also don't love Ken Walker this week against the Eagles. Uh, they've given up four total touchdowns and the second fewest points to running backs this year. James Conner before the bye went crazy in a revenge game against the Steelers. Now he's got the Niners tough matchup. The last time he faced them 6.6 points. That's not good. Chris Godwin's banged up dealing with a knee. Even if he does play, I don't love the matchup against green Bay. And then T. Higgins, I mean, geez, Louise, what's going on with him? He's had two good games all year long, one really good one, three games in single uh, in double digits. That's it. Everything else has been single digits. The matchup's not great. That's a game that's being played tomorrow. Uh, and 
even though Jake Browning's been pretty good, I still have less faith in T. Higgins without Joe Burrow. How do you view Jake Browning for, for a pickup option at quarterback? Two QB league starter. No question about it. Uh, if you're like, I'm not playing Jake Browning over Patrick Mahomes, although he's been better than Mahomes the last couple of weeks, which is still crazy. Uh, I, I'm still not going to do that. But, you know, if you're desperate, if you lost Justin Herbert, for example, who's out for the rest of the season, if you are playing the matchups at quarterback every week and don't have like that elite option, maybe you play Browning. He's been very good. I just, the matchup's not great this week uh, against the Minnesota Vikings, but uh, he has proven that, you know, he's not Joe Burrow, uh, but at least he's been a pretty good alternative, better than I think we expected. A few viewer submissions for you, Michael. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire or Jalen Warren starting this week? Jalen Warren. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is going to start for the Chiefs. Uh, the matchup's not great, though. And uh, even though the, the volume is somewhat there, uh, Jalen Warren's got a much better matchup. So you got to sit one of these guys. Rasheed Rice at New England, Drake mm -hmm. London at Carolina, or DeAndre Hopkins at home versus the Texans. You're sitting uh, one of those three. Last week, we loved the Drake. This week, we hate the Drake. Uh, bad matchup. Uh, I'm, yeah, Seinfeld, anybody? Uh, yeah. It's, it's <laughs> I'm a, a great fan. reference. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm going to sit London out of that group. Uh, I I it hurt for those that don't understand Seinfeld references. Uh, I certainly Some got that one. people don't, though. Like, you know, now Seinfeld references are, like, kind of older. Yeah, right? Kelly, I mean, Kelly just raised her hand. She, thank she, you. She has... I got eviscerated on Twitter earlier today because my co-host, every single week on a different podcast, makes a Seinfeld reference, and I just sit there going... What did I miss? I, I, well, wait. I did you understand not watch how syndication as a kid? Like that? No. Uh, it was, well, I was. I didn't watch Seinfeld when I was eight years old. I, I did. No. Something must be wrong with watch me. But I, I loved it. No, I definitely don't watch it now. Actually, I got in an argument. I said The Office was better than Seinfeld, and no. people did not like that. They're both very much. good. Uh, I, I, I'm fine with that argument because I think The Office is also good. But Seinfeld. Curb your classic. enthusiasm. Watch it. It's I can't. Hilarious. I can't. It makes me so uncomfortable. It. It's he so makes good. Larry David <laughs> makes me beyond uncomfortable. I love him. I, I actually met him at NFL Network uh, years ago, and I went up to him because I love him. Like he's one of the funniest people on the planet, as far as I'm concerned. Went up to him and said, "Hey, Larry, my name's Michael Fabiano. Nice to meet you." He goes, "Hey, Fabiano." I said, "Yeah, it's a good Irish name," and I made him laugh. And that's, I wanted to. That's impressive. And, and you'll. You, <laughs> I wanted to Costanza him. I wanted to say, all right, I'm leaving, folks. I'm leaving on a high note. Uh, that was it. But that I, I'll never forget that. I made Larry David laugh. So, um, yeah, he, it's funny. He dresses exactly the same way uh, in real life as he dresses on the show. And Jeff Garland is a good buddy of mine. Uh, so I, that makes me love that show even more. Uh, I'm a big fan. If you don't watch Curb, you're missing out. I mean, the, the name dropping in this visit alone, sorry, it's, it's amazing know, though. Know, the Miz, I, 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 uh, I Jeff Garland, yeah, you know, Larry David. I got a great, I, I listen, so I, got a, I, I get that all the time, but they're just my friends, you know? So that's, that's it is what good, it is. Good not for Larry you. David. He's not, I, I'd love to be friends with Larry David, but I, I, I don't, I can't say that. I'd love to be friends with you. I got a great story about a buddy of mine who met Larry David at a urinal at a wedding one time the interaction was not as pleasant as the one that you had with him I'll, I'll 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 explain that one off air at some point michael you're, you're the man uh you got the best friends going also appreciate you joining the show weekly thank you so much all right you got to take care and uh, happy holidays absolutely happy holidays to you as well man 
Michael Fabiano's Rolodex is quite impressive. Uh, you know, Ke- Kelly's no- lack of knowledge of Seinfeld, not as impressive, but we'll let it slide. It's, it's I'm not, just not old enough, Chad. I'm sorry. It's not, not for everyone. Uh, we could... We could dispute that another time. Maybe you, you are. Maybe you are. You want, but I wasn't old enough maybe, to watch Seinfeld. Maybe you when are. It was maybe you are. We'll 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 figure that out. Uh, you know what else we're going to figure out? Why a Georgia lawmaker thinks that the Orange Bowl should now be in the college football playoff and the grandstanding taking place with that? We'll discuss that more when we come back. This is Hot Mike across the Outkick Network.